This episode of the podcast is presented by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management and consulting company that works directly with hotel owners and managers to help stabilize their properties and take on projects that are critical to their operation. Knowing Hospitality can be the extra set of hands that you need to make sure your hotel is best positioned for today's environment. Visit knowinghospitality.com to learn more. Now let's get to the podcast. But what can you communicate to where the person next to you or the person below you feels like they're in the team with you because you're communicating just enough to make them feel comfortable? Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Stephanie Carradin. She's a Florida-based executive coach with Dembo Inc. who has an extensive background in hospitality and holds both an MBA and master's in mental health counseling. As we shift focus to coming out of the pandemic stronger than ever, emotional leadership and cultivating a great internal culture must be a leading topic of discussion. Organizations that not only help people get back into the hospitality workforce, but those that help people grow their careers and become better versions of themselves will be the bigger winners going forward. Stephanie shares fantastic insight on the psychology of leadership, what's been missing in many organizations' training and execution plans, and what you can do today to start making a difference with your team and your own engagement in your work. This is a great discussion, and I hope you find something in it that makes you look at your own management and leadership style in a different way. So let's get to it. This is episode 42 of the Proven Principles podcast, Stephanie Karadin on emotional leadership. Enjoy. Stephanie, <laughs> thanks for being on the show. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, great. Um, so, uh, Stephanie, I think we're going to talk about something uh, that uh, gets a lot of a lot of lip service in good times uh, and a little bit in bad times. But I think everything that the hospitality industry has been going through lately, this is a subject. This emotional leadership is something that I think deserves a lot more attention. Uh, not only in the discussion space, but just in, in practice in a lot of organizations. So I'm really excited about today's episode. Definitely, definitely. We've been going through a lot and it's definitely important for emotional leadership to be spoken about. For sure. So yeah. uh, before we dive in too deep, because I think we could go down a lot of different rabbit holes here. Right. <laughs> uh, can, can you just give everybody uh, a, a, a kind of your origin story? You know, what's your background? How did you get to be where you are today? Sure, sure. So background is I'm a mental health counselor with a master's degree in business administration. I have 18 years of hospitality industry um, experience. I started my career um, way back when as a server. So um, I've been around, I've been um, the last, I want to say seven years, I've focused on corporate training in hotels and restaurants. Um, I've also done lots of operations and project management work in that same role. And it's interesting to uh, to mm -hmm. kind of marry the the uh, emotionally the the mental training, health the, counseling. Yeah, the mental mm -hmm. health counseling. Sorry, thank you. The mental mm -hmm. health counseling, uh, the hospitality background, and the business background. Uh, yes, education. Yes. That is uh, it's pretty powerful. 
that's um, I like to call it my unique superpower because I get to see both ends of the um, spectrum, um, the business side and understand it and also the emotional and um, mental health side of employees and leadership and marry the two together. So I'm curious, I have to ask, what has the last you know, a couple of years, maybe the last 12 months been like, what are you, what are you seeing? Is there like this struggle back and forth between the two or? Uh, yes, like what's the man, it's a roller coaster. So um, on one side, even the leaders are really anxious about what's happening, what's going on, what's going to happen to their employees, what's going to happen to their business and how do they address anything that's going on. And on the other side, the employees are having that same issue, but also um, it's, that balance between holding on to business and making sure the business stays alive and taking care of their employees. So it's it's a roller coaster of highs and lows. No kidding. And every time you think you've turned a corner, there's a new there's challenge, a new, a new thing yep. to deal with. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's been um, hard. So your your focus and the focus on the show today is about emotional leadership. Can you kind of mm-hmm. give everybody uh, what's your definition of that? How do you explain it to people? I like to explain it as the ability to communicate, to understand and manage your own emotions and recognize and be able to help influence other people's emotions. So, and when I say influence, not in a bad way, just to help recognize and understand that those people bring their emotions to work as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think back to when I started kind of going from a, a line level employee, mm-hmm. an hourly employee, and then moving into supervisor or assistant manager all the way along. Mm-hmm. And there's there's plenty of training on how to do the technical aspects of the jobs as you climb the ladder, but nobody ever really focuses on how to build your your emotional chops, your your mm-hmm. in, the intuitive side of managing people. Yeah, um, and that's why I think this is so interesting. Yeah. And one thing that I like to tell um, leaders that are promoting people from frontline employee into like a lead or like, you know, they'll start them as a lead, um, a team lead, and then they'll go into a supervisor role and then a manager role. But even as a team lead, I like to tell people just because the person knows how to do this specific job that they were doing does not mean that they will automatically be able to lead others. Mm -hmm. So, and that's where I think sometimes um, people who are moving from frontline to supervisor get, I don't want to say set up, but it's kind of like they feel like they're set up for failure Mm -hmm. because it's a big um, change. Yes, they still can do the technical side of it, but the emotional side and, and the leadership side of it, they don't, they feel like they've been thrown into. So that part is, um, usually there's a gap there. And so now with everything that's going on, it's even more so. Because you end up with the situation where people, I mean, it's it's sort of a trial and error sink or swim. Right? Exactly. So people, exactly. You're, 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 have, you're forcing them to expand their perspective on what it's, you know, what's going on and, and how they not only support themselves and the paychecks that they get, but, you know, suddenly you put all of these new goals and these new ways of having to interact with people that maybe they've not had any exposure to. And I can see what happens is like, as you go, I mean, in a lot of cases, I imagine that goes all the way up the chain in an organization. You just sort of like this, this constant, um, uh, promotion of people who are really good technically, but not great emotionally. Is that exactly? Yeah. Um, I like to say like, they're not Mm self-aware enough. Mm -hmm. 
to be leading others, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because it starts with yourself. You have to have that within you, that self-awareness of what your shortcomings are, what, you know, your issues are before you can, you know, lead somebody else. And what happens is because they're not, um, you know, self-aware enough to when something happens with the with the line employee, it kind of triggers them and then they mm-hmm. go on the defensive and then it it hurts the the employee. Yeah. Yeah. That's how do you get someone to be self-aware? I mean, I'm sure that's, this is the probably many episodes of a podcast, but like, if you, <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, I agree with you a thousand percent. That's the mm-hmm. thing that tends to be the barrier to yes, really seeing people excel in leadership is mm-hmm. that like, and it's not just being aware of like how you react to things. It's, it's how you are perceived by the other people when mm-hmm. you react to the things that trigger that you react. Exactly, like. exactly. And so my main um, thing, and the the quickest thing, I guess I, I should say, is that when when promoting somebody into a different position, and this even goes for somebody who's already a supervisor being promoted to a higher position, I would say they need some kind of training on, um, I don't want to call it emotional leadership because that's like a double-edged sword, but some kind of training on, you know, interaction with mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. Because once you're training them on how to communicate, once you're training them on how to pass messages and how to be clear and concise, then that automatically attributes, you know, looking within and how you're communicating now and how you're passing on messages now. Also, um, believe it or not, company culture refresher courses, Mm. that also triggers you to look within as to how you fit in that culture and how you're managing your employees within that culture. Mm. See what I'm saying? So it's one of those things that you, you can't go to somebody and be like, Hey, you're not self-aware enough. You need to go sit with a counselor. I mean, you know, <laughs> that will be yeah. really right, bad. Right. But if but you, you know those you, conversations happen. Yes. <laughs> they do. And mm-hmm. then the person gets on the defensive and they block off and they don't, you know, even if they try to go to the training, they learn nothing because they're already pissed off that you judge them. Mm-hmm. You know, that they're doing their job mm-hmm. wrong. <laughs> yeah. So you want to um, slowly bring them into like a culture refresher course. You want to bring them into like a, a communication course where you teach them how to communicate with their um, with their team members. You want to teach them how to listen better to their team members. Open up and make it see. Well, not make it. I don't want to feel like you're misleading them, but make it seem like you are teaching them how to bring in their team members closer to them. And that automatically opens up the, the conversation to them looking within and seeing where they're doing things differently and mm-hmm. where it can be changed. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty powerful. Uh, one of the things I've seen a lot is these organizations will put these courses together mm-hmm. and they might do them once a year. Mm-hmm. you know, as part of a, a checklist item of a list mm-hmm. of training that needs to happen. But mm-hmm. one of the big challenges out there is that it's not done consistently enough. You can't just do this one time and expect people to, yeah. to buy in, right? It's it's yeah. making it sticky. That's the exactly that's the tough part. And and one thing, not only does it happen just maybe once or twice or once every year or every three years, but also what I've noticed too is that a lot of times they'll do this training and they'll be in the 
training for like three days or five days. I don't know. But then they send them off. Like, you know, I give you all this information and then I send you off without any action plans, without anything that can help you keep on doing this. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the other side of it. I I think organizations, when you're looking for a trainer or when you're looking for a consultant, you should make sure that that person has a, um, and a strategy or ongoing action plan to give to the team members so they know what's next, what's the next step after this training. So I think yeah. that helps a lot too. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I, because I, I know, because I've experienced mm-hmm. this, in, you know, myself that when you try to put training like this together, you try to sort of get a group of people into a room to talk about something that could be pretty vulnerable. It mm-hmm, sort of exposes mm-hmm. people's insecurities a little bit. Um, that you're always going to hear excuses as to why this won't work. What yes. What are some of the common excuses that you hear and how do you get around them? Oh, so, well, nobody told me this was how we were supposed to do it. That's the, that's my favorite, right? Classic. But, <laughs> but um, the, the thing that I hear that is pretty relevant. And I always go back and tell, um, whomever the the decision makers are about this is that's what the policy says. There are systems in place and I'm just following the systems. So to me, the reason this is pretty relevant is that it shows me that the, in the culture, it's one of those cultures where people have to work around the policies and the policies are not living, breathing documents that are changing with time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times what happens is we're using a policy that was created 20 years ago, right? And nobody mm-hmm. looks at it to say, you know what, with the new team members that we're getting now, millennials, Gen Zs, um, this no longer works. We have mm-hmm. to do something. We have to update those policies. And so that excuse, even though it is an excuse, because a lot of times it really doesn't have anything to do with the policy, but they have that backing them up. They have the mm-hmm. policy to go back to, to be like, well, I was just following the policy. So, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I, my hands were tied. Yeah. So, yeah. You bring up an interesting point about an intergenerational workforce. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think now, now more than ever in history, there, we've got more generations working, working, especially, you know, in a, at all at one time and probably all under one roof. Yes. Uh, and, you know, when you talk about policies that were written 20 years ago, that's very, very true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on, on, you know, what's a good way for, man, I feel like I'm wading into deep waters here, <laughs> but like, what's a good way for an organization that may have many generations working under one roof who, uh, you know, through experience and age and different life stories all have a, a different view of the world, a different way of approaching things. Some are easier to turn to work with. than others mm-hmm. and work with than others. How would an organization, if you're, okay, so if you're sitting back and you're, I don't know, you're VP of human resources mm-hmm. and you're like, man, we got we to gotta figure this out. What mm-hmm. to, to try to get more engagement in the job. Maybe we have employee opinion surveys that we need to, an engagement surveys mm-hmm. that need to get better scores. How do you start? It seems like such a big thing to get your arms around. It is. It's a pretty big endeavor, but what I've, um, what I've seen and what I've worked with is 
going backwards. So instead of starting from what I would call, um, because the, let's put it this way, 90% of the time we're going to have the older generations in higher level um, positions. And then the younger people will be in, you know, entry level or, you know, middle or entry level management type positions. Mm -hmm. And what I've, what I've learned and what I've noticed is to reverse engineer. So instead of starting with the higher level um, executives, I like to start with the lower level, the entry point, the younger people. The only reason we do this is because a lot of times we already know what the um, older people's griefs are, what they, um, their policies, how they think, their views, because we've been working with them for so long, right? Mm -hmm. We have more experience working with those types of people. So now we're still learning how to work with Gen Zs and how to work with millennials. And they're so much different. Their views on the world is so much different. Hmm. The way they approach things is so much different. So I like to start there and then reverse engineer to the top where we can bring their grievances to the higher positions and see how we can work it there. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like we're taking, um, you know, the grievances from the kids and bringing it to the parents type of thing. (laughs) (laughs) I like that though. Yeah. And then um, trying to find that happy median, which is very hard. Don't get me wrong. Even though it may sound easy, it's very hard. But to find that happy median somewhere there in the middle between leadership and entry level Mm -hmm. is the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And then you almost create this, uh, uh, this, effect of of change from a larger group at the bottom yeah. there's usually more people at people the bottom at in the multiple bottom. positions exactly. right exactly. influence uh, yeah and it's like up. a compromising type thing i like to call it the marriage of the two of mm-hmm. the few generations right because if you meet at the in the middle there's more compromise than could that could be made at yeah. that point for sure for sure um, obviously I imagine- you know we can't please everybody but we try. You try. Yeah. <laughs> if you can get 50 plus one, I think that's exactly. <laughs> you're winning. Exactly. Right? Uh, I imagine you find in your training that you get to a point where people are uncomfortable with, with uh, a, a not, I don't want to say not a traditional leadership style, mm-hmm. but you know, kind of the textbook command and control, do what I say because I'm in the job, mm-hmm. not opening up to your team, not being vulnerable, not mm-hmm. willing to change your mind when you get new information, all of the things that we yeah. <laughs> we know are out there. <laughs> um, how do you help people overcome some of the uh, maybe fears and anxieties that come up with them personally when you're, when you're kind of telling them, yeah, you've been, you've been leading your people this way for so long, but you know, you really need to change how you do things for, you know, these reasons, X, Y, and Z. Sure. So with that, that becomes like a a individual type thing. So what I like to do is in a group training, I'll notice when those things come up and what I'll do is ask um, the decision maker for me to have like a, either a smaller group or a one-on-one because the person is vulnerable and they're not going to open up, especially about their private lives, because believe it or not, a lot of that will come from their upbringing, from their private lives. And that's where my, you know, therapy, um, kicks come in because I can help them open up further and understand what's going on and why they're so stuck in that specific issue. But 
for the grand scheme of things, when we're not able to do a one-on-one, we'll ask them several questions like, what would make, what would be a little bit more compromising to you? What would make you feel comfortable, even if you're not, you know, going to be completely transparent? But what can you communicate to where the person next to you or the person below you feels like they're in the the team with you mm-hmm. because you're communicating just enough to make them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is you're uncomfortable communicating, but then the other person is not trusting you because you're not communicating. So how can we make it to where you're giving them enough so they can trust you and work with you? Oh, interesting. And everybody yeah. likes to be trusted. So once I say that, I kind of get them to open up a little bit to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just it creates that safe space. Yeah, and they yeah. they become more comfortable, kind of living in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Uh, so, putting your business hat on for a second, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, you will get people's buy in when you can demonstrate that there's an ROI on the effort, mm-hmm. and sometimes an ROI in this subject is difficult to figure out. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of, you know that it's the right thing to do, but mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to spend thousands of dollars on training, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in tens of thousands of some cases, and you're bringing all these people like yourself in from, mm-hmm. from, you know, outside providers, and then you try to keep it ongoing through the organization. Um, what, what would be a good ROI discussion on this aside from it just being, it's the right thing to do? Oh yeah, definitely. So. When you're, especially your frontline employees, because frontline employees are the ones that get paid the least. They come, they do what they got to do and they leave. They have no attachment to their position. They have no attachment to the job, especially if their supervisor is not self-aware, like we were saying, especially if they don't feel comfortable or trusting in that supervisor. So my conversation on ROI is always that If, even if the person is making minimum wage, if they feel comfortable, if they have that certain trust and they feel like you appreciate what they're doing as a supervisor, as a manager, they take ownership in their position. Mm. Once they take ownership in their position, then they will do 110, 200% of what you're asking them for. And that alone will raise like front desk If you have a front desk employee that is giving 200%, your customers are going to come back Mm because that customer service is going to go through the roof. Your housekeepers, if they're giving 200% and they're cleaning that room, especially now with COVID and you feel safe, the client feels safe, the guests feel safe when they come in, Mm -hmm. guess what's going to happen? They're going to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. So when you have happy customer, um, happy employees, you get happy customers. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it's no more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we've been through a lot. We alluded to it earlier in mm-hmm. the last year. I mean, everybody has hospitality. Everybody's heard yeah. me talk about this, you know, yeah. forever. It's not mm-hmm. like a broken record. But, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, this is what I kind of foresee maybe happening in the near future where mm-hmm. a lot of people have been laid off um, and businesses, hotel businesses are going to try to figure out, you know, at what's the right level to start bringing people back, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's going to be tough operationally with peaks and mm-hmm. valleys of occupancy, you know, that's mm-hmm. a whole other discussion. 
But you know, going the last probably 10 years, we've heard a lot about hotels and hotel companies it, wanting to be the employer of choice, best mm-hmm. employer in their city, winning mm-hmm. these whatever awards that kind of come out uh, across the board about yeah. you know, top, <laughs> top 50 employers and uh-huh. whatnot. Um, but you kind of contrast that with uh, what's been going on the last 12 months. And I can't help but think that sites like Glassdoor uh, also have to be put into the mix here. And if anybody mm-hmm. doesn't know what Glassdoor is, it's a it's a, basically an employee review site of mm-hmm. employers. So long-winded way of getting to the point here where mm-hmm. <laughs> hotels will be, are, are going to, I think, start to struggle to find uh, people to work um, mm-hmm. as business ramps up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like internal culture, uh, Glassdoor reviews, seeing what other people say about an organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sense that you get when you just go interview at a, at a company, right? And you like, you know, you go in and everybody thinks that you know, you're going in to to try to get the job, but they're also mm-hmm. trying to convince you to work for them. Yeah. And so you got to feel good about the interview when you're there. And you got all this playing up in the ether, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's not... I guess there's not so much a question here is like, what's your take on kind of this kind of the state of this place that we're in in hospitality where business hasn't come back yet. People, companies should have put effort into what we're talking about already. Many Mm -hmm. probably didn't. So they're behind Mm -hmm. the eight ball. Mm -hmm. What, what's a good action plan for them right now to be like, oh man, we're, we're behind the eight ball. We got to get our act together. Sure. So again, like we were talking about before, company culture in a lot of places is way behind. They're not um, moving with the times. And I think now in, you know, this whole 50% occupancy um, times is a really good time to look at your culture, look at what you're doing and how you can um, improve it. And um, we've been hearing a lot thrown around about diversity and inclusion and all of that good stuff. But also we want to make sure that we're not just doing the things just to check off boxes that we really mean them. Because like you were just saying, when somebody walks into the doors, they can feel what's really going on in the environment. Right. So we want to make sure that we're doing things that are going to make people feel welcome. People feel comfortable working there, want to be there. And again, even at a minimum wage salary, want to own their position. So I think um, one of the places to start is to look at company culture, look at what the employees that you do have now are saying and how they're performing and start from there. Start from within, you know, with the people that you already have, because once those employees are getting happier and um, giving you that feedback, you can change, you can pivot at any moment and make those changes so that when you're starting to hire in new people or bringing back the ones that you laid off, they're coming into an environment that is more hospitable, for lack of a better word, (laughs) but but, um, something that they really want to be and somewhere that they really want to work in and somewhere that they really want to invest their time. And even if in the future there is a layoff or something like that, they want to come back to you because Mm -hmm. a lot of people were actually happy to be laid off and go sit home and and collect unemployment, Mm -hmm. not because they're lazy, but because they were so anxious and frustrated Mm -hmm. with their positions, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a bad look. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that people want to be at work. So 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, and all of that comes back to to leadership. Yeah, to leadership, to your culture, to how you're addressing. And a lot of it, um, I want to say, comes to communication. I think we have this um, culture now where it happens in, you know, the executive suite and people hear little whispers about it, but nobody comes out and tell the the masses, so to speak, Mm -hmm. what's really going on until it actually happens. And I think that creates an environment of zero trust in their leaders. Right. Right. So that's, that's a place where, you know, people could start. Or, you know, you tell them, you tell everybody one time and expect it to yeah, stick. Yeah, and expect right? it to stick. And so yeah. six months later, you know, you're sitting in a boardroom again and somebody asks, you know, how's all this going? And mm-hmm. and it's not going. It's not going. Yep. Because yep. everybody forgot. Nobody bought them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like we could talk about this all day. All um, day. <laughs> yeah. If, if somebody listening right now is in a position, uh, and fortunate enough to be in a position of maybe they're a shift leader. Mm-hmm. And they haven't had, or, you know, maybe a newly appointed department head mm-hmm. and they're going through that growth phase that like mm-hmm. that sort of expansion of their mind into their mm-hmm. position. Um, and they haven't been set up for success about with all the things that we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. What's something that, that they could do themselves, just maybe one thing that they would learn from this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. irrespective of what their manager can do. Yeah. Just help them get better at this. I'd say be curious. Talk to your employees. Ask them questions. Be straightforward and don't be on the defensive. That's the important part. Mm-hmm. Be get curious. rid of that need to be right. Yeah. Get rid of that need to be right. Ask them even and make it clear that, you know, you're curious, you're asking, you might not be able to change things from one day to the next, because that's another thing with, um, especially frontline employees. Once you ask them a question, they think you're going to change it right away. So make it clear, be transparent that you may not be able to change it right then and there, but be very curious, open up and ask questions and get to know your employees Mm -hmm. and, and things fall into place just by you getting to know them. You create that trust factor with them. Mm -hmm. Huge. I can't, I, I completely agree with you. That's, mm-hmm. that was probably the number one thing that changed the game for me Yeah. Uh, in those positions was just being a real person. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In in a nutshell, that's what it is. Being <laughs> <Right>. human. <laughs> being human. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stephanie, I imagine that, you know, people listening may have some questions about other things that we talked mm-hmm. about, or maybe things that we didn't get to today on the show, mm-hmm. uh, or just want to learn more about you. Um, what's a good place for them to go to get a hold of you and see what you're up to? Sure, sure. So I have um, these chat coffee chats that I do. And if you go to stephaniecoradin.com, so that's my first name, last name.com, you can schedule a coffee chat with me. I am also on LinkedIn under Stephanie Coradin. And um, you can email me as well. And that's stephanie.coradin at demboinc.com. Love it. I'll link to everything in the show notes. So Thank you can you. just scroll mm-hmm. down and and, uh, and click mm-hmm. away. It's going to be great. <laughs> Stephanie, you. this is a great conversation. Thank you so it much really for being was. on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Adam. This was my episode with Stephanie Karadin. You can find her on LinkedIn or book a coffee chat with her at stephaniekarodin.com. I'll link to both in the show notes. You can see the full interview on YouTube. Just search The Proven Principles Podcast. And if you want to learn more about the show, just head over to our website, theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. Finally, if you need help with a new business strategy or just someone to talk to about a tough problem in your hotel or restaurant, please don't hesitate to reach out. 
you can book a free call with me by going to knowinghospitality.com slash contact. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. For past episodes, show notes, or if you've got a story that might make a great episode, head on over to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, even on YouTube. And if you haven't already, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to The Proven Principles Podcast.